0: And so we will turn in our Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians and chapter 5. We're going to, Lord willing, we're going to finish up this uh, portion of Scripture, I hope, but I hope with some reservation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let's start in verse 1. I'll pray first and then we'll read. Of course, this should be uh, by now, this passage. Should be somewhat familiar to you, and uh, as we go through it, and um, and then we'll do a little bit of review after I read it, and then we will continue in our study. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, thank you so much for everyone that's here this morning. Thank you for stirring up the hearts of your people to uh, to meet together, uh, to fellowship with one another, to seek you uh, in the. Uh, by means of the church, Lord, thank you so much for the church of God, uh, the, uh, the group that you have put together, the family of God, uh, our brothers and sisters. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to serve one another. And Lord, we do thank you for the hope we have of your soon return. You said, I come quickly. And so, Lord, as we focus on your coming this morning, and as we have been so many weeks now, Lord, would you please use this truth uh, to stir us up, uh, to uh, make us fit for your kingdom, uh, for your work, for your will. Uh, Would you, Lord, use these truths to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ as well? Lord, you know I I don't have any ability to speak or or to rightly explain and, and give your word to your people, but Lord, I trust that through your Spirit, that you'll give me the help I need to help your people, and, and especially, Lord, that you would help uh, your people uh, to receive uh, the uh, engrafted Word and that you would help them through it, Lord. Lord, we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. We'll read down through verse 11 just to refresh our memory. Verse 1 says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. So last uh, couple of weeks ago, we looked at the distinction that's in this passage between the church and the world. There's a pivot between the two. Uh, of course we talked about the the coming of the Lord is described as is compared to a, a thief coming to plunder, coming to rob at night but we also saw in verse number uh, three I believe verse number four rather that that description of the Lord's return as a thief in the night is not applicable to the to the Christian because the Christian is a child of light the Christian is a child of the day whereas the Lord's Coming as a thief in the night is a is an act you could say is a, is an event that happens uh, to the world as a, you know as a as a as a thief or a burglar might come and cause destruction and harm. But for us, that's not that's not what we're concerned about. We look at the difference between the two. The difference in uh, they 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 and then you have these ye 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 and we 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 all through uh, this passage, which shows us a distinction that the Lord makes between the world and the church, the world and the church. And then we also saw that there are some contrasts here. You have the day versus the night. You have light versus darkness. You have watching versus sleeping. You have soberness versus drunkenness. And we also saw how that, uh, especially last week, we talked about how that because we are children of the day, because we are children of light, you might say it like this. We live as you would live in the daytime. Number one, that means we're not ignorant because we can see. But number two, we live in the daytime because it is a time of labor. Labor. Now, barring some unusual circumstance like illness or, you know, having to stay up all night, uh, the previous night or something like that, normally sleeping during the day would not be a good idea right? Normally, uh, if you go to your job and you say, hey, look, I'm kind of tired, you know, I'm going to go back in the break room and take a nap, that probably would not uh, go over too well in most, you know, in most companies, right? Um, Did they let you do that at ABC Locksmiths? No. No. Yeah. Well, if he locks the door, nobody's going to know what he's doing anyway, right? So, so, you have the, the, the idea of we're children of the day means, means number one, we're not ignorant. Number two, it means that we should be working. Now is the time for work. Night is not the time for work, uh, but now is the time for work. But it also, there are some imperatives we talked about last week, and in verse number six, it says, therefore, let us not sleep. So, building upon what God has said we are, right? God has said we're children of the day, children of light. That's That's what God has said. You are this, so do this. You are this, so do this. So God says, You're of the day, you're of the light, so what do you need to do? You need to be awake, you need to be serving, you need to be working, and I need to be doing the same. But also says in verse 6, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. So those are the imperatives. Do not sleep. We need to watch. That means stay awake. But this is not obviously not referring to in our physical life. This is referring to spiritual wakefulness not, and not being spiritually asleep. And sobriety, that is the idea of, of, uh, of being being moderate and, being, and avoiding excess. See, that's one thing Americans have, have really, really gone off the deep end is, is with excess. You know what? I'll readily admit that I have... I have tendencies like that as well. I think all of us probably do. Uh, the The idea of, but it's not just excess of of drink, though. Though that's obviously an issue, but it's also other kind of excesses. But anyway, the point is, excesses will will pull our heart away from God, whether it be the lust for money or the, of course, the lust of, of for alcohol or power or prestige or or any of, the, any of the things whereby we seek for abundance like that can take our heart away from God. That's why we just need, we need to ask ourselves this, okay? This is all review, but we need to ask ourselves this. Is my seeking for this thing pulling me away from the Lord? Is it going to harm my relationship with God? That's the idea of sobriety when you talk about, there's actually two different facets to sobriety. One of them is moderation. So the question is, is what I'm doing, is the job I'm working, is the, uh, is the activity that I'm involved in, it's not that that activity is necessarily a sin. That's not the point. Eating food is not a sin. But to excess, it can be, right? You know, entertainment is not a sin. Rest is not a sin. But to excess, all of these things can be a problem, right? So the Lord says, Look at your life. Look at your life. These things that by themselves might be good and right and okay, am I allowing that to affect my life in a negative way? And if it's, and and listen, if anything in your life and my life is encroaching upon our relationship to the Lord, you ought to turn on that thing like, like it's your enemy. If anything in our life is encroaching upon our relationship to the Lord, we ought to turn on it and count it as our enemy, to forcibly put it in its place, right? And again, we're talking about even things that are by themselves are fine and good, but to excess can take our heart away from the Lord, right? Take away that sobriety. But the other facet to sobriety is the idea of being serious, to being grave, taking something seriously. And that's also something we should do as someone in the day, someone who has work to do, someone who knows they're going to give an account. Are we looking at our, our work and our, 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 our ministry for God? You say, well, I, I don't have a ministry. Yeah, you do have a ministry. You should have a ministry, right? That's, we talked about active involvement, being fully engaged, totally plugged in. You know what? The church is the place where you minister, right? That's why, that's why it's here. The church is the means. We shouldn't be looking for ministry outside somewhere else. The church is the means, is the place that God has provided whereby we can minister. And of course, the church, through its ministries, allows us all to minister to, 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 the, to the people outside that aren't, aren't part of our church as well. So that's the idea. But again, last week we talked about, are we taking our responsibility, our duty, and our ministry, and our time serious before the Lord? Pastor Stewart he, he preached on, last couple services, preached on commitment. And that's, same, that's, that's, that's two sides of the same coin. If we're serious about our relationship to God, commitment will not be a problem. Right? Commitment will not be a problem. And when we're talking about our relationship to God, our relationship to one another, our relationship to the church, we're talking about commitment. It's just a matter of prioritizing it not letting anything in our lives, it's just, it's, it, the question's already answered. Before anything comes up, we've already decided, we ain't doing it. If, if anything seeks to take the place of, of the rightful place of, of the things of God in my life, I'm just not doing it. Don't even ask. It's not happening. It's not an option. I'm not going to find a way around it. I'm not going to try to explain it away. It's not happening. You see, that's the kind of, seriousness that we need about our relationship to the Lord. And this is not being a jerk about it. It's just a matter of, I'm serious. Right? My relationship to God is that important. I mean, you know, I'm going into the season of life, for better or for worse, in which my children are starting to want to have romantic relationships. Right? And boys are wanting to, talk to my daughters and that kind of thing. You know what? That's wicked. I know, it is. <laughs> it's to excess already. But you know what? The only thing that matters to me in that circumstance is my daughters and my sons, of course. The only thing that matters to me is, is, is them. Nothing else matters to me. So if I see if I see a boy kind of you know, weaseling his way into her life or something like that, and I don't. And, and it's not a good thing. You know what? That's not even a question. I'm not going to leave that door open. I'm not going to toy around with it. No, no, that's it. I'm going to deal with it. Right? I'm not going to allow that entrance at all because the only thing that matters is my is my daughter. Well, in our relationship to the Lord, that's the way it ought to be. That's being sober, sober. All right. Look at Romans chapter 13 to, so that we can continue in our study. Don't lose your place here, if you would. We will continue back, or we will return, rather, to um, our passage here. Romans 13, verse 11. We're going to read two passages right now, and I want you to listen to the language because it overlaps what we're reading in First Thessalonians chapter five. Romans 13 verse 11 says this, Ugh. And that knowing the time, again, talking about the times and seasons, the coming of the Lord approaches, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Of course, the, that's just simply to say the coming of the Lord is, so, is closer now than it, has, it was yesterday and that it ever has been. That's just a fact of reality, right? Verse 12 says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. No, knows that, knowing the time. You know what? God has told, we've been studying this, this doctrine, right? We have been studying the Scripture to know when the Lord is coming. Not the day, not, not that kind of thing, but, but to know the, the times and the seasons. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. You are, and I am not ignorant of this time, right? We should be living in light of what we know, that the Lord is coming. And every day that passes, that draws near. And we can see around us this world degrading day by day. That's exactly what, right? We've studied this. That's exactly what God said would happen. We know the time. We have no excuse. And that fact should prompt action in us. Listen, and I say this to myself as much as I say it to you. We cannot, we should not, we must not continue as we have been right? We need to move forward and do more and be more devoted than we have been. Why? Because the Lord's return is getting closer. This is the lesson that God is saying. It is time. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us, what's the word? Therefore, right? The Lord's coming. Verse 11 says, high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation. Now, we're going to talk about this word salvation a little bit more in just a minute, but this is not the salvation of the soul, all right? Look at verse 12. It says, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Remember what the Lord said, we're of the day, we're of the light. Therefore, we should not exhibit darkness. Again, we talked about this before. If we are of the day and if we're children of the light, God has declared that about us. So we should live consistent with that. If we are the day, if we're of the day and we're of the light, that means our life should shine as light. Our life should not be characterized by darkness, which is which is sin, which is evil. Our life should be bright. And our, And being light, we should live in such a way that we will not be ashamed in that day. right? Remember, light? One thing about light is it reveals, right? And when the, the Bible actually says, when the Lord comes, he'll shine a light on everything. The things that are done in darkness and in secret, he's going to shine a light on it. But let us now live in such a way that when the Lord's light is shined upon everything we have done, we have no cause to be ashamed. That's what we, what we look at on our phone. That's what we say to one another. That's our heart's motives That's our, the words we choose to use, our priorities, that's every area of, listen, the Lord is, you you know, Amy, Amy took a test, you know, she's a C, that's what I am, a C, that means someone who's very conscientious and nitpicky. Pastor Stewart's not a C, he's an I. But the Lord is, if there's anyone that's see that is conscientious, it's the Lord. And when he goes to inspect our lives, I'm telling you, he's going to see everything. Listen, this is not, I don't, I don't intend to sound threatening by no means, but it's just a fact that we need to live in such a way that, he, that we have no cause to be ashamed before him at his coming. That's a scriptural principle. Now look at verse, verse 13. This is what I'm talking about. Let us walk honestly as in the day. You see that? Same language. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness. I'm going to just say this kind of in passing. Rioting means to act or behave in a wild, dissipated, or unrestrained way. Reveling. This is the biblical word for partying. Revel. When I was growing up in Aaron Berea, everybody's saying they're going to go party. That's that's reveling. That's rioting. It's still wicked to do that. It's still wicked to, to to for us to as Christians as children of light to involve ourselves in that kind of ungodliness. Be it family, be it friends, be it whoever, co-workers or whatever. Chambering. We have the word drunkenness. <clears throat> I'll just say this again. It's still wicked to get drunk. And social drinking, social drinking, there are people among us that could tell you and have had issues with alcohol. And they will tell you, and I'm about to say it's true, social drinking is the bridge to drunkenness. And many, many people, the dirty little secret among people that do social drinking is this. The dirty little secret is this. Is that they slip up and get drunk. Because with every, with every sip, with every drink of alcohol, their carefulness and their soberness, obviously, and their, and their prudence diminishes. And those people who social drink will get tipsy and they'll say, I'm not drunk, but they're drunk. Now, we know that the scripture plainly forbids drunkenness and puts it on a a very serious level, if you want to call it a level of sin. It's a very serious matter. But social people that social drink often end up at that place. They end up drunk and they say, well, I just got a buzz." Listen, we don't live in the first century with no refrigeration. We don't have to drink wine because that's the only thing there is to drink. We don't, we don't have to do any of that. We, we have, if you want, listen, if you want fruit of the grape, you can go down and get you a nice bottle of Welch's and you can drink that and your heart's content and your stomach can be helped just as much as you want, you know. Use a little wine for thy stomach's sake. If you want to do that, you can do that all day long, and it won't make you drunk. We don't live in that day. Here's the point I'm making. There is no cause for a Christian to drink alcohol at all. And as I said, the dirty little secret is dipping our foot into the social drinking. The first question we have to ask is this. Why? 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 Why do you feel it necessary? But the second question is do you really think that you're not ever gonna get drunk? Just saying. I know when we talk about drunkenness in this context, it's not just referring to alcohol, it's also referring to the idea of, of excess and lack of sobriety in other areas of our life, but, but it for sure includes alcohol, right? not in chambering chambering means this to behave in a wantonly to behave wantonly or lewdly to have sexual relations with a person wantonness is lustfulness lasciviousness and sexual promiscuity i'll say this again it's still a wicked sin to be involved in a sexual relationship of any kind outside of marriage okay None of us, none of you, nor I, should be afraid to say people that living with one another who are not married is still wicked. right. Right? It is not okay, regardless of what society says. It is still wicked and is still ungodly. And God still says, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. And it's wicked. But this also applies to social media and what's on the internet. Because lasciviousness and lust, and lust, which is wantonness, is, are all, they're all part of the same sin. Just one begins in the heart, and one is manifested in the action. Listen, as the coming of the Lord approaches, which is this is the context, right? This is the context of this passage. We cannot, we must not, as a matter of faithfulness to God, back away from the scriptural standards and the scriptural teachings about what is is righteous and what is unrighteous and what is godly and what is ungodly. We cannot back away from that. I don't care if the whole world says different. We cannot back away from it. And I know the thing is we deal with people and our families and our, our friends and loved ones who get involved in that, and sometimes that wants to kind of hem up the things that we're willing to say about it. Again, Pat, if Pastor Stewart says about every time he, he brings up things like this, we're not talking about attitude, but it doesn't matter if it's our family, if it's our friends, if it's our coworkers or whatever. If it's a matter of biblical morality, we ought, we ought to be unashamed to state it, all right? Not being a jerk, but it ought to be, it ought to be clear and unambiguous. But the, the sad thing is in verse 13, the Lord is talking about His people being involved in these things. Not in strife and envying, not being able to get along with one another. Let's look at Ephesians chapter five. Verse six. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things, the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness. I love this verse because this verse doesn't say we were in darkness, but we were the darkness. We were the cause before we knew God. But now are ye light in the Lord. Again, go, what does God say? If you live right, you're light in the Lord. Is that what it says? What does it say? Now are ye light. And what's the next, what's the next word there, Ari? Exactly. You see that? You are this. Now live up to it. Live up to what you are. You're not, you're not working to be that, but... You are that. Live up to it. You're light, act like light. You're God's child, live like it. Oh man, that's so legalistic and narrow minded. No, that's actually what the Bible says. Right. right? Verse 9 For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them. Ooh, that's an unpopular way to say it. That's an unpopular thing to do. Speak out against evil. But that's what it says. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Notice the, the, uh, the mention of sleeping. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. Again, talking about the Lord's coming approaching. So this is not just, actually, I think the, the verse about redeeming the time, which is verse 16, is not so much about, of course, we, we often hear it used in context of, you know, using your time wisely, and it definitely has application, but this is actually more properly applied to the shortness of time before the Lord comes. Time is short. You, we need to make sure we're using it, right? And it says, because the days are evil. We know that's also a scriptural principle. Verse 17, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine. Here it is again. Amazing. Amazing. In the same context that these things come up, these same themes you start you see them over and over and over. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know what that is? That's a that's a, 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 a kind of a subtle reference to the church, because this is this is something I just just came upon recently from someone else. I was I was uh, I was. I was, uh, something I was reading. This singing is not just us singing to God. This is us singing this way to one another. Whoa. So that means when we sing in church, primarily we're singing to the Lord, right? And our heart, we're singing unto God. But our singing is supposed to encourage each other. Whoa, that should change the way we sing, shouldn't it? That should change the way we sing. In other words, and the funny thing is that's the, that's the polar opposite of what we do. We want to sing quietly and timidly because we're around other people. But God says no, The singing is designed to encourage each other. That listen. That alone should revolutionize the way. What happened? Okay. That alone should revolutionize the way we sing in church. Our singing, listen. First of all, because of the audience of our song, it's the Lord. And so it should be, it, we should sing from a vibrancy and excitement and, and, and a sincerity of faith and love to God. But also, our, our singing in our church should be vibrant and, and zealous and, and engaged because we're singing to one another and encouraging one another in the truths of God. That wasn't in my notes. And then lastly, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Go back to 1 Thessalonians for the last few minutes. So we see that these these themes related to the coming of the Lord are repeated in other passages of Scripture. Look down at verse number 7. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken, are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And for an helmet, the hope of salvation. You know what you have here? You have 1 Corinthians chapter 13, last verse. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. These, you, you, some people call them the three Christ, the main Christian graces. Faith, hope, and charity. You could say faith, hope, and love. These, faith, you could say, is, uh, deals with our relationship to the Lord and His Word, right? Because it deals, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, and faith, it's impossible to please God without faith. So faith primarily deals with our relationship to God and His Word and His will. Love deals primarily, especially the word charity, deals primarily, primarily with our relationship to one another in the body of Christ. Of course, we know we love God, but many times in the New Testament, the word love is a reference to love between believers. But the third is hope. And in this passage, hope is fitting. You know why? <clears throat> Let me give you a definition of hope because we're going to, Lord willing, next week we're going to go in, get into the, the concept of hope. Hope is this. Hope hope and faith are related to one another, but are not the same, okay? Faith is is, uh, trust in what God says about that, about present fact that you can't see, right? Jesus died for me. We trust in the Word of God that describes that, that, that sacrificial death. We trust in that. That is an established fact that is done we believe it that's faith hope is different hope is this hope is faith in the future faith in the future aspect hope deals with faith in things that are expected that have not that are not present but yet future so when you talk about the coming of Christ, that's why you see the word hope in relation to the coming of Christ so often because the coming of Christ has not happened. We don't have faith in the coming of Christ. We have hope because it's faith we believe, but we believe in something that is, to, that is yet to come. That's the difference between faith and hope. One is present, one is future. And hope... Some you might define it as expectation with desire, but hope is not merely the way we use it today. It's not like a, it's not like a, a wish. You know, you might say, well, is the hurricane going to come to gonna, gonna come to come over South Carolina? You say, Well, I hope not. That's a wish. There's no faith in that. That's just an expression of a desire. You might say, Well, I don't even know what you would say in in, in place of that. But because we use it so often. But hope is you believe that it is 100% sure. It just hasn't happened yet. That's hope. And we'll look at that a little bit later. But to conclude, verse 8, let's read it again. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. This salvation is the salvation of the body. We're not waiting to be saved from sin. That's past. That's why it says the hope, which is what? Future. This is the hope of salvation yet to come. This is the salvation of the body. Now look at this, verse 9. For, now in the context of the hope of salvation of the body, to be rescued from this world Rescued from this body of death, for God hath not appointed us to wrath. We're still in the future here. But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we don't believe, this is another reason we don't believe that Christians will go into the tribulation. In the context of that fact, the Lord says, God has not uh, appointed us to wrath. Wrath is not in our future. Salvation is. You see? In that context, the Lord says it. So the idea that we're looking forward, expecting to pass through that time of wrath is contrary to what this scripture teaches. Verse 10. Who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. That comfort... That's what was mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Whether waking or sleeping, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, right? That's waking, that's sleeping, that's alive, that's dead, and that's the source of the Christian's comfort. Knowing that God does not have any wrath for us, He, is, he has not appointed us to that, but He has appointed us, in contrast, to obtain Salvation, right? Helmet of salvation. That's the salvation of the body in the context. He's not appointed us to wrath, future, but to obtain salvation, future, by Lord Jesus Christ. So that's that's one reason we know, we'll get into a lot more, but that the the Christian will not pass into the time of, of wrath, the tribulation, but will be saved from it. Salvation. All right? So we'll pick up there next time. Let's pray.